Uh, so glad that you're all with us tonight. Um, what a conference this has been so far. You know, we're in the book of John, and, and John, the reason it's such a great book is it's a book on life. And we've been seeing how life meets the need of every man, every case, life meets the need. And, you know, Mike started out on Friday night. You have there a dying child, and life comes in with healing. And we just really appreciate it on Friday night. We need a lot of healing. Don't you need a lot of healing? Our spirit, our soul, our body, we need a lot of healing. And I really appreciate it that wherever that life goes, it heals. And one thing that Mike brought up that I think is important even for tonight's message is that when John wrote, he wrote it in a way to make things known by signs, uh, both in his gospel and also in the book of Revelation, he always made things known by signs. So, uh, for instance, like in, in John chapter 2, uh, he changed water into wine. Well, that's a significant miracle. But we saw what the real significance of it was, is that he is changing our death into life. And all the different things that John wrote, it was pointing to something full of spiritual significance. Uh, then, you know, this morning we had uh, the need of the impotent, life's enlivening. That was a great message. And, you know, you think about that. Here's a man, he's been there 38 years, and he is, and you just have to consider the best that religion has to offer, the best. I wrote down some things. He was in the holy city. He was near the holy temple. They had the holiest of holies in the holy temple. The holy angels were there, the holy priesthood. And yet with all this, that man was laying there 38 years and could not be healed until a little man, Jesus, walked up, came into the scene and said, do you want to get well? And we just really appreciated that Christ is the one who enlivens us. And I feel like when jo Josh hit one little phrase this morning, I feel like light flooded into the meeting. And that phrase was, I have no one. I don't know how you felt this morning, but I felt the Lord was speaking to each one of us. I have no one. Do you know why we're impotent? Do you know why we're having a hard time going through the pandemic? We have no one. And it just was speaking to us. We need someone. We need some companions that when we don't feel like it, will help us to get in the word. When we don't feel like it, will help us to pray. When we don't feel like it, will help us get to the meeting. Don't you feel like that word was something the Lord was just shining? I have no one. But brothers, in these days, like Merrill shared this afternoon, we need to be with those so much the more as we see the days of day approaching and be with the other believers, have some companions so that we can really experience the Lord's uh, 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 saving us from impotence and enlivening us. Well, tonight we go on uh, with another case. This is in John chapter six. This is a kind of a famous chapter. And uh, this case is the need of the hungry, life's feeding. And uh, in the beginning here in A, if you look on your outline there, it has uh, the portrait in John 6. And this is important to see the portrait of what the background was, what was going on here. It says, after these things, Jesus, 
went away across the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd followed him because they saw the signs which he did on those who were sick. So just think about this. This is in juxtaposition to chapter five. A small pool, people were there, sick, and here you have a great crowd and they're at the Sea of Galilee or Tiberias, and this signifies something. And what it signifies, the people in number one around a sea signifying mankind busy and occupied in Satan's organized and systematized world. Well, you think about it. You had a lot of inactive people in chapter five. Here you have a lot of very active people in chapter six, and they're busy. And this, this, this setting here, when it, when it took place, was at the feast of the Passover. And this signifies the beginning of man's life, which always ends in hunger. So when John 6, 4, it says, now the Passover, the feast of the Jews was near. Well, the Passover, this was the first feast on the Jewish calendar, and it signifies the beginning of man's life. And in the beginning of man's life, and very much with us as, you know, that are in college and, and uh, are pursuing, you know, so many things, we're very busy. Uh, I have appointments with the brothers, and one of the words that comes out of their mouth all the time is, I'm busy, so busy. And this is exactly where man is at the beginning of his life, busy to get into school, busy to get that first degree, busy to get that internship this summer, busy, so many different things. One brother uh, just you know, sent a little notice to our home meeting that he got into med school, busy to get into med school. So this is, this is the case with those that are around the sea. They're very, very busy. And, uh, and the Lord says to them, work not for the food which perishes, but for the food which abides unto eternal life. Because no matter how busy you are and no matter how many things you achieve, you get into school, you get that internship this summer, uh, you, you, you graduate, you get your first job. So many things that are first time things. The problem is, is that there is a net result and the net result is hunger hungry. We're so full of expectation, but the result is in our busyness, when we achieve the things we're going after, the, the result is we are hungry. And this is the, the setting for what's going to go on here is you have a lot of busy people and they're hungry and the Lord wants to come and he wants to feed them. Only Christ, only Christ can fulfill that deep hunger within man. So that's why the Lord says, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that abides unto eternal life. Well, then in B, uh, we have the actual feeding. <laughs> he, they were hungry and the Lord took care of their hunger here. And in verse five, it says, Jesus then lifting up his eyes and seeing that a great crowd was coming toward him, said to Philip, where shall we buy bread that, they, that these may eat? And one of the disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There's a little boy here who has five loaves and two fish, but what are these for so many? Jesus said, Have the people recline. 
Now there was much grass in the place, so the, so the men reclined in number about 5,000. Then Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he, he distributed to those who were reclining, likewise also with the fish, as much as they wanted. So first thing we have to ask in this situation here is, what exactly did the Lord feed them with? And remember, all these things that we're going to touch tonight, they have spiritual significance. They're signs. So he fed them with two things, barley loaves and fish. And what do barley loaves signify? And what do the fish signify? Well, the barley loaves signify the generating aspect of Christ's life. And the two fish, they signify the redeeming aspect of Christ's life. And you know what? We need both of these. If our hunger is going to be fulfilled, if our hunger is going to be satisfied, we need redemption and we need the generating life of Christ. Only when we have these two will our hunger be fully satisfied. Uh, then the next thing we see is, and I really like this, number three, the smallness of Christ as the life supply to us. You know, and I have there again, John 6, 9, and look what it says there. There's a little boy. It doesn't say a boy. It doesn't say a man. It says a little boy. You have to be impressed with that. It says a little boy who has five barley loaves and two fish. And the reason I feel that we need to be impressed with this little boy is that the Lord's trying to focus us in on something small that we would really appreciate the Lord's smallness in this matter, because if he isn't small enough to eat, then our hunger can never be satisfied and the Lord can never get what he's after. So we have to realize it's a big thing that the Lord is small. Uh, many people, they like to make the Lord big. They make the, make the, like to make the Lord great. You know, even we have a hymn in our hymnal, maybe you've sang it before, How Great Thou Art. <laughs> And uh, we're singing another hymn tonight, and that hymn is How Small Thou Art. Uh, we have to realize he is small enough to eat so that he can come in and take care of our hunger. Well, but you look at the people and what they were looking for, and it says in verse 14, the people, therefore, seeing the sign which he did, said, this is truly the capital P prophet who has come into the world. They were looking for something big, great. And then in 15, then Jesus, knowing that they were about to come and take him by force to make him what? King, capital K, King. He, uh, what did he do? Did he say, oh, sure, I'm glad to be made king. No, he withdrew again into the mountain himself alone. You have to realize, the Lord realized that if his economy is going to have a future, if he's going to have a way, he didn't come just to be great. He came to be small enough so that we could take him in. And listen to this, the Lord prefers to be small because as a small one, he can get into us and mingle with us and become one with us. This is why it's such a big thing to see. Lord, you're so small that we can take you in and how much we appreciate that. You know, even in the next section of verses here in Matthew 15, he even went smaller. And this Syrophoenician woman comes to him and wants her daughter to be healed. And uh, in verse 26, he answered and said, it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And I really appreciate this Syrophoenician woman 
she was not deterred. <laughs> she said, yes, Lord, for even the little dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from the master's table. And then the Lord was really impressed and said, then Jesus answered and said to her, oh, woman, great is your faith. He even became the crumbs. Even you can't sit at the table. You can eat the crumbs under the table. This is how the Lord prefers smallness so that he can meet our hunger. This is such a great thing. You think about even just the Lord's life. Where was he born? Was he, was he born in a palace? No. He was born in a manger. And how did he grow up? What city? Was he in the imperial city? No. He was in a despised city called Nazareth, small. And did he have a great occupation? No. He was a carpenter and a carpenter's son. He was small. He was so available. And I would say this, not only available, he was so approachable because of his smallness. You know, if it was a great king, we would all be in awe and fear and just awestruck by the king. But no, he came in a small way to be received by man that we could take him in. Well, then, you know, we go on here and, and we see that there was 12 baskets full left over. Started with two fish and five loaves, but it ended with 12 baskets full. And what does this signify? This signifies the richness of Christ in the overflow of his life supply. So rich so rich they gathered the baskets they, they gathered and filled 12 hand baskets with broken pieces from the five barley loaves which were left over among those who had eaten and he is small but listen to this he's unlimited he is small but listen to this he's inexhaustible and listen for two thousand years this small unlimited inexhaustible one has been feeding god's people year after year after year. Here we are in 2000, and still the Lord is feeding us. He's the small one, but he's inexhaustible. He is the small one, but he's unlimited. Well, then we go on to Roman numeral number two, and here we have, I, I really think this is kind of the crux of the whole message, uh, the real burden here, and it says a revolutionary change in concept, listen to this, from doing to eating. I think you got to really be impressed with this. From doing to eating. And uh, I, I have this verse here, Matthew 14, 23, and probably a lot of people are kind of wondering, what are you doing with Matthew 14, 23 here? I thought we're on John 6. Well, we are on John 6, but this verse was taken from the exact same event, except here it's in Matthew. And it adds a little to your understanding of what's going on here in John 6. So in Matthew 14, 23, it says, And after he sent the crowds away, he went up to the mountain privately to pray. And when night fell, he was there alone. You know, the Lord, as we mentioned before, all these things were signs. The people, what they saw was a miracle. And so they wanted to make him king or were going to force him to be king. But the Lord had something so much more than just a kind of a new welfare state where he's going to fill your hands with bread every day. No, the Lord, there was a spiritual significance here. And the spiritual significance is that the Lord came to be food to man. And he wanted them to see 
not just that he's a great miracle worker. He wanted them to see that he is the very bread of life. He even says later in John, I am the bread which came down from heaven. I am the bread. Okay. I'm not here just to do great miracles. I am the bread which came down from heaven. And uh, so you think about it, how burdened he was that they would see this. And you have to believe that when he went up in that mountain and he was praying, he was praying desperately, praying, Father, Father, take the veils away. Show them that I'm food for them. Show them that I'm their supply. Show them that I'm small enough to eat. He, you, you just have to believe that he was praying and praying that they would see what was the real significance of this miracle. And the real significance is that he would be food to them in a spiritual way. And so when he came down from the mountain, from verse 24 to the end of this chapter, 71, from 24 to 71, I would call this a divine eruption. <laughs> it was a divine uh, it just, something came out of him and it was based on that prayer all night. So that's why I put that verse up. He was praying and praying. And so there was what you might say was a divine response. And so when we read from verse 24 through 71, you realize we are in the divine response to the people not seeing that he came to be food to them. So in 24, so when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into small boats and came to Capernaum seeking Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? That was the question. When did you get here? So we have to see how did Jesus answer the question? When did you get here? Jesus answered and said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me not because you have seen signs. There it is again. Not because you have seen signs, but because you ate of the bread and were filled. You know, he right away, the divine response, Mount Vesuvius just started boiling over with hot lava. And he was just saying to them, wait a minute. I am not here to be a welfare provider. I want you, I, I, I was, I want you to see that I'm food and that I'm your supply. Not, I'm not here just to give you a free lunch. And, and so right from the very beginning, he said he was exposing why they were seeking him. It wasn't because they saw the signs, but because they had a free lunch. That's why they were seeking him. So he goes on and he says, work not for the food which perishes, but for the food which abides into, unto eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you for him, the Father, even God is sealed. Then in verse 28, he, he said to them, and I, this is what I want you to underline, is this phrase, what shall we do? They said, what shall we do? You know, this is man's, this is, we default to this. What shall we do? We're a kind of a doing people. Tell me what to do. Tell me what to do. Tell me how to do it. Tell me how to pray. Tell me. How to, how to give a prophecy. Tell me how to preach the gospel. Tell me how, to, how do I worship God? How do I do all these things? We are just people that are in the realm of what shall we do? This is us. This is our situation. And uh, 
man's concept is to do, but God's concept is to eat. And he wants from the very beginning of this section here, he wants to turn us from doing to eating. And I think if you can get this tonight, that the Lord's burden with his people is to turn them from doing to eating, then you really got what we're after tonight. So Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God. What is the work of God? That you believe into him. This is the work of God. Well, you know, you look on those verses under A, which is the work of God is what? It's to believe into his son by receiving him as life and the life supply. This is the work of God. And, you know, you might say, well, how do you get receiving out of believing? Uh, it says believe. So where do you get receiving from that? Well, I'm going to show you. First of all, in verse 12, John 1, 12, it says, but as many as what? Received him. As many as received him. To them, he gave the authority to become children of God to those who what? Believe into his name. So in this one verse, you can see the receiving is the believing and the believing is the receiving. They just go hand in hand. To believe is to receive. And then these next two verses are amazing. Pay attention to these next two verses. So in John 6, 47, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes has eternal life. So we all, amen. He who believes has eternal life. We, we, we say amen to that verse. But look at verse 54. It says, he who eats, <laughs> he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. You know what? You put these two verses together and you see it so clearly. To believe is to eat. It's a receiving. The way we believe is by eating, by taking Christ in. We receive by eating and drinking. Look at that. 47 says, believe, have eternal life. 54 says, eat, have eternal life. Oh, we believe by eating. The more we eat, the more we're believing. The more we believe, the more we're eating. Our believing is our eating. It's our receiving of Christ. Well, you know, you just consider, you know, the Lord's relationship with his people throughout the whole Bible. Just think about it. With Adam, you know, his relationship with God was altogether determined by what he ate. If he had eaten the tree of life, he would have just had God's life and just enjoyed a wonderful relationship with God. But as we know, he ate the tree of knowledge. And as a result, sin came in and it separated him from God. So his eating determined his destiny. And listen to this, your eating determines your destiny. Whatever you're eating today determines what's going to happen later on in the day. If you eat well in the morning, it determines your destiny for the rest of the day. If you don't eat well in the morning, it also determines it. So let me just say this. Eating determines your destiny. Okay, then what about the Israelites when they left Egypt? It was altogether an eating history. You know, they put the blood on the doorposts, the side posts of the house. But inside, what were the Israelites doing? They were eating the Passover lamb. And that lamb gave them the strength to leave Egypt. They, they had to leave that very night, and they had the strength of that lamb within them to leave Egypt. So it, the, the, the exodus was absolutely an eating matter. Then when they got into the wilderness, and they're wandering through the wilderness on the, on the way to the good land, it was altogether an eating matter. matter. Yes, they got out of Egypt, 
but how much had Egypt gotten out of them? <laughs> you know, I, I really appreciate those three that got baptized in College Station. They got out of Egypt, but now don't stop there because there's still a lot of Egypt in us. And the only way that that Egypt can be dis dispelled from us, and that, and that is by eating. You think about it. While they were there in the wilderness, God put them on a 40-year diet. Would you like to be on this 40-year diet plan? It was called manna. And every day they would wake up and they would eat the manna. And eventually, as they ate the manna for 40 years, Egypt was just totally taken out of them. And they were ready to enter the good land. Okay, then when they entered the land, it was totally an eating matter. It says in Joshua that when they entered, the manna ceased. And they began to eat the, the produce of the land. And, and the produce of the land so rich. The pomegranates, the figs, the barley, the wheat, the olives, the, the vines. I mean, it was just such a rich, rich land. And they ate that and came to the temple three times a year and offered their top 10th produce to God at the temple. So it was altogether an eating matter. And it was even, I would say, higher. It was a more solid eating than the manna in the wilderness. Okay, then you come to the New Testament. And of course, as we're saying here tonight, the New Testament altogether is a matter of eating. We don't have time to get into all the verses, but I will just say this, that when you come to the end of the Bible, the Bible ends with a promise and a call. And write this down. In Acts, I mean, in, in Revelation 22, 14, you have the promise. Blessed is he that, blessed are those that wash their robes that they may have right to the tree of life. You wash your robes, you have right to the tree of life. Don't just stop at washing your robes and happy that your sins are forgiven and cleansed. We need to have, go on to eat the tree of life. And then 22:17, the spirit and the bride say, come. And he that's thirsty, come. And let him who's thirsty take the water of life freely. It ends with a promise and a call, eating and drinking. The whole Bible from Old Testament through the New Testament is a Bible full of eating and drinking. And, eat, and eating uh, involves three things. And I'll, I'll give you these three things and you can write them down. Number one, taking something into you that becomes one with you. I really like that. Eating means taking something into you that becomes one with you. You know, a lot of us, we've swallowed when we were kids, all sorts of crazy things. Maybe we swallowed a marble one time. Well, did the marble become one with us? No, the marble never became one with us. So, uh, uh, eventually, it was excreted from us, right? But listen, when you're eating something that's organic, it becomes one with you. So number one, I'm going to say it again, taking something into you that becomes one with you. Then number two, it involves existence. To maintain life, you have to eat. If you don't eat, you can't maintain your life. And you know, if you see some of the young brothers, if they haven't eaten for a while, maybe they went without breakfast and lunch and you, you hit them in the afternoon, uh, they're not doing too well. And that's just one day. Uh, it, it all together involves existence. To maintain life, you have to eat. Then number three, Whatever you take in, you live by that thing. This is what we live by, is by the food that we eat. Well, you know, the Lord, you know, I have be here eating Jesus. <laughs> wow, that's a strong term, eating Jesus. Jesus therefore said to them, this is to have life. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh 
of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you do not have life within yourselves. So when we eat Jesus, we have life. And then in John 6, 57, it says, as the living Father has sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who eats me, he also shall live because of me. So if we eat Jesus, we'll live because of him. But, you know, this, this is a strong phrase, eat Jesus. And if you've never heard this before, it's probably like, oh, I just, it's hard for me to take this, eat Jesus. But the thing, the reason that we can have so much boldness and our authority is not us, it's the word of God. Because the one who said this was Jesus himself. And he's, I'll say it again to you, he who eats me. This is Jesus saying, he who eats me, he also shall live because of me. So you have to realize this man, Jesus, when he came down from that mountain, I would say he was on a mission. And what he was looking for is I have to get eaters. Because if I don't get eaters, my economy grinds to a to a standstill it grinds to a halt if i don't get eaters so he was a man on a mission and so listen listen to this okay when he first used the first greek word that he used in john 6 before he came to verse 57 he used a greek word by the name of by the uh, what is called phago and this word means to consume but as he was encountering unbelief among the Jews and even his disciples, he got stronger. Instead of relenting, he got stronger. And uh, he used the word trogo. In 57, he uses trogo. He went on from phago to trogo. And what, the, what does trogo mean? It means to gnaw, to chew, stressing the slow process. It is used metaphorically of the habit of spiritually feeding upon Christ. So I, I got a little portion here from Vine's Expository Dictionary uh, commenting on this section. And uh, this is what Vine had to say. In John 6, the change in the Lord's use of the word phago to the stronger word trogo is noticeable. The more persistent, listen to this, the more persistent the unbelief of his hearers, the more difficult his language and statements became. So you have to realize the Lord was fighting a battle here. He realized, I have to get eaters. I have to have a breakthrough on the earth or my economy will not go on. And so here are some of the verses. They're not on your sheet, but I'm going to read them to you with what he was uh, coming up against. So this is verse 60, John 6, 60. After he had said the word about eating, he's, it says this, many therefore of his disciples, when they heard this said, this word is hard, who can hear it? So even his own disciples, when they heard the word about eating, they said, this word is hard, who can hear it? And then in John 6, 6, 6, pretty interesting that it's Chapter 6, verse 66. So I call it the 666 verse. Listen to what it says. From that time, many of his disciples went back to what they left behind and no longer walk with him. Many went back to what they left behind and no longer walk with him. And so you would think, was the Lord deterred by this? Was the Lord discouraged by this? The Lord just, you know, you know, take up his bat and ball, say, I'm going home. 
No, no, the Lord was not deterred. And he said the very next verse after 666 in 67, he says, Jesus therefore said to the 12, do you also want to go away? He was undeterred. And then in 68, Simon Peter comes through with, I mean, just, just beautiful flaming colors. I mean, you know, when we think of all the things that Peter said, put his foot in his mouth, uh, does your Lord pay tribute? Yes. Uh, Lord, pity yourself. I mean, so many different things. But I'll tell you what, at this point, Peter hit the ball hard and it went out. I mean, this was in the lights when Peter said this. He said, Simon Peter answered him, verse 68, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have words of eternal life. Finally, someone got it. Finally, someone saw we need to eat Jesus. And the way we eat him is through the word. Finally, he got some disciples, albeit it's only 12. But if he hadn't got these 12, it, God's economy would be stopped because there'd be no eaters. And so I would say this. Today, he's sounding the same call. And he's saying to you, will you go also? And we have to, we have to join with Peter. And we have to say, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have to be absolutely one with Peter and believe in that. And, you know, we know, and one of the reasons we know that Peter really got it, because when you read his first epistle, he says in chapter 2, verse 2 and 3, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow, if so be that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Peter got it. And because Peter got it, and John got it, and the rest of the apostles got it. Brothers, today we get it. We get that we need to turn from our doing to our eating. The more we eat, the more the Lord has a way inside of us to do everything that he wants to do. And eventually, all the doing that there is comes out of our eating. So this is a, a big thing. Now, for time's sake, I'm going to skip number three. I think it, you can read it on your own. And I just want to touch this matter and number four, the uh, practicality of eating Jesus. So first of all, how do we eat Jesus? Okay, if you, if you become like Peter and you, you're saying to the Lord, Lord, to whom shall we go? We have to ask the question, how do we eat Jesus? Well, number one, in A, we have eating Jesus by praying his word. Oh, I like this. You know, in Jeremiah, thy words were found and I did eat them. And the word was unto me the joy and rejoicing of mine heart, for I am called by thy name, O Lord God of hosts. So when, when Jeremiah found the words, what did he do? Study them, analyze them, dissect them. What did, what did Jeremiah do? He said, I did eat them. And when he ate it, look what it says there. The word became something. It was unto me the joy and the rejoicing of my heart. You know, when you eat the word, it becomes joy in you. It becomes rejoicing in you. Uh, Matthew 4, 4, we're all familiar with this. But he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every what? Word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So we have to realize that when we come to the word, we're not coming to a menu. Uh, can you imagine if you went to a restaurant and they said, okay, here's the menu and enjoy <laughs> and you're going, wait a minute, I didn't come here for a menu. I came here for food. 
many Christians treat the Bible like it's the menu and they love to study, dissect, analyze, and things like that. And, and please don't misunderstand me. We're for studying the Bible, but mainly the main function of the Bible is for something to supply you that you can be a person that grows in the Lord's life inside of you. So, so we have to ask this question, okay, well, yes, we need to take the word. How do we receive it? Well, in Ephesians 6.17, it tells us very clearly how to receive the word and receive the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit. Which spirit, listen to this, is the word of God. In verse 17, it says, receive it. But how do you receive it? Verse 18, by means of all prayer. Receive by means of all prayer. Receive by means of all prayer. So you take a verse like John 6, 48, and it says, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. <laughs> a short one, John 6, 48. Well, you just, you just take the very word there and you just pray that very word back to the Lord. Lord, thank you. You are the bread of life. Lord, you're, you're the supply. You're what I need. You're gonna fulfill my, you're gonna fill my hunger, Lord. Lord, thank you, the bread your bread, Lord, and your life. Oh, you're the bread of life. Lord, I need you. Lord, I feel dead. Lord, I need life right now. You're the bread of life. And you take the very word and pray that word back to God, and you'll be surprised at how it becomes the joy and the rejoicing of your heart. Well, then B, eating Jesus by calling on his name. Oh, another great way to eat Jesus. Isaiah 55, 1 says, Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters. And he that hath no money, come ye, buy and eat. Yea, come buy wine and milk without money, without price. So first thing it says, we have to come. And when our coming is to seek the Lord. And then it says we have to buy and eat. And uh, you might wonder, oh, if it's without money and without price, how do you buy without money? Well, it's very easy. You know, a lot of times we get up and we don't feel like reading the word. We don't feel like calling on the Lord. And the price we pay is not to stand with our feeling. The price we pay is to say, Lord, that's right. I don't feel like this, but I know your word has a life supply. I know that in your name, there's a life supply. So I'm not going to stand with my you know, me, myself, and I, icky, sticky feeling. I'm going to absolutely pay the price, come out of that feeling, turn to you, and gain the life supply. So we have to buy and eat. And then finally, how do you buy and eat? In verse 6, seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call. Look at that. Call ye upon him while he is near. Oh, I tell you, calling. When, when you call in the name of the Lord, you begin to eat Jesus in a way you never have eaten Jesus before. <laughs> I remember when I first got into a, a car with some of the brothers, we were taking a trip to Houston from Baton Rouge. And, um, and so uh, I heard one brother say, praise the Lord. And I said, oh, no. Oh, no, I'm with a bunch of holy rollers. I just thought, oh, no, I, I, this is going to be 300 miles to Houston with the holy rollers. But anyways, you know what those brothers did? They helped me to call on the name of the Lord. And we called for 300 miles. And I mean, brothers, we called and we called and we called. And I had a huge breakthrough because I realized, wow, wow, this is so real. 
to say the name Jesus, to call upon the name of the Lord is so real. And it fills me that I just couldn't believe it. I mean, you have to realize that, you know, as a Jewish person, when I got saved, I had no idea. What do you do now? How do you find the Lord? How do you seek the Lord? How do you touch the Lord? And I was telling a brother the other day that because I didn't know anything, I thought, well, you know, I went on Christmas Day to the Salvation Army in downtown Boston. I took this drunk guy or a couple of drunk guys out to eat lunch. And I didn't know. And then on that trip to Houston, when the brothers helped me to open my mouth and call on the Lord, brother, my life changed when I began to call Lord Jesus. And I tell you, your life will change. If you begin to call on the name, you'll begin to eat Jesus. Okay, then quickly, uh, it says here in C, responding and going along with the inner sense. There's something organic that we eat. And because it's organic, it begins to move inside of you. And a lot of times it touches things that, hmm, I don't want you to touch that, Lord. And so right away we put on, you know, it's kind of like the door opens a little bit and we, you see a hand go out and our hand is there putting on a do not disturb sign on that room and say, Lord, you can have anything, but not that room. <laughs> and uh, we're, we're like this, uh, you know, the Lord wants to move in and we want, we're, we are really holding back like, Lord, don't move into that area. But listen, when you go along with him and you say, Lord, make me willing. Lord, I confess to you, I'm unwilling. Lord, make me willing to be willing. You pray that prayer. Lord, make me willing to be willing. Eventually, you open that door and you get a tremendous life supply. You know, I've noticed that sometimes people will come to a meeting and, uh, and I'm not saying this, uh, you know, as a, an overall statement that this is what happens when the Lord touches you to uh, speak in the meeting, but they're there in the meeting, they're enjoying it, and then the Lord begins to touch them. You need to say something in the meeting, and, you know, some people say my heart starts really pounding fast and all these things. Well, maybe it does, but I'll tell you what, something organic got into you, and it's working in you, and listen, when you speak, you're flooded you're flooded. It's been my experience. It's been the experience of many. When you go along with that speaking, you're flooded with life. And so we, we have to be people that when the Lord begins to touch things on us, we go along with it. And, the, and when we go along with it, there's a richer, richer eating. I mean, he, 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 he is so organic and so real. So then finally, uh, in D, we have eating Jesus by speaking his word. So let me read this to you here. It says, and at this point, his disciples came, and they marveled that he was speaking with a woman, yet no one said, what are you seeking? Why are you speaking with her? Now, catch this. It says, what was Jesus doing? Speaking with her. Then the very next verse, verse 32 says, but he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. Actually, his speaking to that Samaritan woman was the very eating. He was eating, taking the Father's will, and was speaking the gospel to her. And we know that she received the gospel because eventually she dropped her water pot. She went into the city and said, come see a man who told me all that I've ever done. And eventually the whole city got saved eventually. But, but this, his Jesus eating, the meat that he had to eat, was because he spoke. And when we speak, in the meetings with one another, even like, you know, we're in the uh, breakout meetings, uh, the, uh, the uh, 
a, um, you know, celebration meetings or the, you know, the different watch parties that we're having. And uh, so I was in one last night and uh, wow, it was such a good message. And we went around and everyone spoke, everyone. <laughs> it was great. The only one who didn't speak was the dog. But anyways, everyone spoke in the meeting. It was wonderful. And, you know, when you speak, you eat. <laughs> I just want to, I want to say that again. The more you speak, the more you eat. And, uh, and so if we speak, it helps us very much in our eating. It's, it's kind of like this. I'll, I'll give you the illustration of like a garden hose. You know, with a garden hose, you have two ends. One end is connected to the water and the other end has the nozzle on it. And uh, so you can have the water turned on full blast, but if that nozzle is closed, when you leave that hose out there on a hot summer day and you turn on that nozzle, two or three hours later, what are you going to get? You're going to get hot, ugly tasting water. <laughs> That's what you're going to get. But if you want the fresh, rich water, then what you need to do is keep that nozzle turned on. And as you keep that nozzle turned on, more and more fresh water is coming in and more and more fresh water is being dispensed. And so we have to be people, listen, you want to be healthy in your Christian life? keep both ends open. One end, keep it open to the Lord. The other end, keep it open to others. And if you do this, you will be richly fed with Christ. So uh, I think I'm about at the end of my time. And I just want to thank you that we could have this time and that we could all become eaters of Jesus. Because when he gets eaters, his economy will go full steam ahead because he's going to do something within us to change us and eventually to make us the bride of Christ. So anyways, I've really enjoyed being with you all tonight and I hope that our, our appreciation of eating Jesus would go way up after tonight and that you would all be like Peter saying, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Okay, brothers, we'll stop here.